Welcome to Elevate LMD, conversations with Cincinnati's learning and development leaders, brought to you by the Greater Cincinnati Association for Talent Development. In this episode, we'll discuss virtual development, myths busted, and lessons learned. We'll talk about virtual learning and development, and what we learned was true and not true about shifting in-person learning to the virtual world. We'll also discuss best practices for hybrid learning. Our host, Greg Gould, founder and principal consultant at Aero Talent Development, talks with Garlene Staten, content customer experience manager at Cornerstone On Demand, and Jillian Hintz, director of learning and development at Paycor. They will share the lessons they learned about quickly adapting training programs to their organization's changing needs. Let's join the conversation. Hi, welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Greg Gould. Today, we're talking about virtual development, myths busted, and lessons learned. As all of you are all too aware, the last two years have brought massive change to organizations and to learning and development functions and professionals. At the beginning of the pandemic, learning and development departments and practitioners help organizations pivot quickly to remote operations. As the pandemic stretched on, existing programs needed to be retooled and new programs designed and developed to address the organizational and individual development needs in the new virtual world. A recent Deloitte study indicated that 98% of HR leaders said they were utilizing virtual learning as a result of the pandemic. Before I go on, it's probably best to define our terminology. By virtual, we're referring to any learning modality other than the physical classroom or those that require the learner to be in a particular physical space. Virtual refers particularly to those modalities that can be used in a work from anywhere environment, including both synchronous and asynchronous components or a combination of both. And by development, we're talking about employee learning activities to facilitate job skill training, manager development, and leadership development programs. Also, we'll be talking about delivering learning in a hybrid environment. By hybrid, we're referring to a combination of virtual and physical audiences. Certainly, virtual learning and development is not new. We've been designing, building, and delivering virtual learning and development for decades. What has changed is the urgency of the need, the volume of people that require development, the volume of programs required to address the need, and the organizational commitment to meeting their development needs through virtual programs and experiences. This has created great opportunity, but not without its share of challenges. As a result, we've reinforced some of the things that we knew about virtual development, learned some new things, and realized some of the things that we thought we knew may not be exactly true. Joining us for this episode are two guests with extensive experience in the development of virtual learning. I'm thrilled to have with us Jillian Hintz, Director of Learning and Development at Paycor, and Garlene Staten, Content Customer Success Manager with Cornerstone On Demand. Jillian and Garlene, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Greg. It's great to be here. Hi, Greg. Glad to be here today. Garlene, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience? 
Yeah, my passion for virtual learning goes all the way back to 2002. And it wasn't a pandemic at that time, but a corporate bankruptcy that forced us to explore ways to train our customers without travel expenses. And it was then I fell in love with virtual tools and techniques. And I loved the idea of bringing everybody together from all over the world to learn together. In fact, my previous title, as you mentioned, was Virtual Learning Manager, and while I was in that role, I earned a master's in education with a specialization in training and performance improvement. And in my current role, I get to partner with learning professionals in many companies to help them align their content to initiatives that drive their learner engagement and realize business results. I love learning in general, everything about it. Well, thanks, Garlene. That's exciting. Jillian, can you share a little bit about your background? Thanks, Greg. So I'm Jillian Hintz. I'm the Director of Learning and Development at Paycor. Um, I actually began my career in HR and ended up switching into learning and development about 15 or so years ago. In addition to my current role where I lead strategy and the delivery and development of learning and enablement content for our sales and marketing organization, I've actually also spent time as a facilitator in person and then also in virtual events as well, and then spent some time as an instructional designer too, where I was able to do um, lots of virtual learning development, including synchronous and asynchronous content. Well, great. Thank you, Jillian. I know you had to make some major changes to one of your large and one of your most critical programs. Can you share a little bit about what you went through and some of the myths associated with virtual learning that you probably discovered just weren't true? Absolutely. So I remember this very clearly. It was a Thursday in March of 2020, and our organization announced at an all-company event that we were going to start working remotely from home as a response to the pandemic. What ended up happening to our sales learning team, they were actually in their first week of training for an eight-week new hire onboarding training. And this blended learning program consisted of a lot of in-person classroom training. And so they were given basically about two business days to convert all of that in-person training into a virtual environment for delivery. And the the big challenge really was is that we only had so much time to um, switch it so that we wouldn't put any delays on the experience and the training for these new hires because we had an expectation to have them graduate within a certain time to be able to perform for the organization. You know, a lot of people thought that it would be a pretty light lift. Just take your notes, just take your PowerPoints and put them in Zoom. And that's not exactly how it goes. Uh, I think as many of us have experienced in this uh, situation as well. In addition to that, the other challenge that we had was our communications tools. So Zoom communications had just launched at our organization as well. So in addition to uh, flipping all of those presentations and all of the notes over to virtual, we also had to learn a new tool at the same time that we weren't really familiar with. So it was a it was a big challenge for us. Definitely, you could see a little bit of the impact on the experience that it had in a a less effective way, I would say. But we powered through it. We ended up converting it. And we've been moving forward ever since with a virtual program. So Jillian, you hit that big myth right there, right? The I can just take my notes from my instructor-led training and I can just lift it over here and do it online and everything will be wonderful. That is the myth, isn't it? That is like number one myth that everybody thinks that you can just switch it over and it's not an issue. You know, once you start digging into it, you notice when you're doing virtual delivery and having to convert that you have to write those notes completely differently. You have to have different prompts, different interactions. And then you have to start thinking also about how do you segment or position your training in a different way so that it's more consumable in that virtual environment. 
So I don't know, Garlene, if you've experienced any of that as well. Oh, no, not at all. Everything's been sunshine and roses. (laughs) Of course it has. (laughs) Uh, actually, I was lucky that the organizations that I've worked in have they saw the need for virtual learning before the pandemic. And so even though some of the instructors hesitated to transition to virtual, even though the the company as a whole and the training department as a whole were embracing WebEx and the integration with Cornerstone and all that, we did still have some folks that were hesitant, but we had been working on that for years. And so when the pandemic came, they they sort of had most of the people on board with it at that point. But even so, (laughs) you know, trainers, we're people people. We thrive on interactions. And I think one of the other myths that we had to overcome even before the pandemic was that there is a fear that you won't have that connection when you're not in the physical space together. And that is a myth. Certainly, we can have that interaction, especially when you turn the video on. But as soon as you do, you start making that eye contact, you can see facial expressions, faces to names, and we're able to get people to realize that you can actually make that connection, even in a virtual environment. And I think that was one of the myths that we had to bust early on. I will say that two, two strategies as far as what we learned was that if you find your champions first, find the people that are going to help you get started and build that momentum, the people that early adopters, the people that want to learn the technology, they are out there. And if you can get them started and model the way, then other people will have an easier time getting on board. And then you also, you have to give people time to learn how to use the tools before we expect them to use the tools to learn. Okay. I am so glad that you said that about finding a champion because that is one of the things that I always um, say when I'm talking about all of these significant things that we have and shifts in learning and development, even in addition to virtual learning. And how I always summarize it is that any of these shifts require an element of change management. And that's one of the big things, right, is having to find your champions to bring it along. But in addition to that, it's really understanding, building that sense of urgency so that when we have the problems and you see that we have to switch over to a virtual environment or rethink the way we do our training content, we have to build that business case of what's the cost of not doing it. And so that was another thing that I found was really critical in having to get this to a point that it was going to be accepted by the organization that we were going to make these switches over to a virtual environment and we were going to do more hybrid learning. And that was just the way the future was. Garlene, you mentioned earlier about how the instructor or facilitator had to change particularly, and the learners had to change um, Mm -hmm. with turning their cameras on and trying to make contact. What about any other stakeholders? Were there any other people involved in the learning of these individuals that also had to change in order to make this effective? Absolutely. Leadership in particular, there's only so much you can do unless you have leadership buy-in. And I remember I called it a concierge approach where you really just had to be very present and very accommodating. You want to build a trust and a rapport with the leadership, and hopefully you already have that established. And if you do, they trust you. And I found that the biggest fear that most people have, well, besides public speaking, because we all know that's the biggest fear (laughs) everyone has, but one of the biggest fears people have, they don't want to feel stupid. And if you are put in a situation where you don't know the technology and you're a leader and you're trying to use this technology or advocate for this technology that you don't even understand, that can be a problem. 
And so when we very first started using tools for virtual meetings and learning, I would schedule time with leaders and trainers and <laughs> learners just to practice the tools. Can they click the link to log in? What happens when they click the link to log in? You know, where, where do they put the password? Is there a password? How do they mute and unmute? Are people going to see me right away or do I can, can I control that? And if we can get them in a situation one-on-one, -on -one even the higher up the ladder, one-on-one -on -one situations where you can help them learn the tools and get comfortable with them before you put them in a situation where they have to have an audience, that helps alleviate those fears, give them the confidence. And then once you start seeing some of the leadership jumping on board and, and doing the virtual learning, people tend to come along. So find, again, finding the champions doesn't mean just in your training department. <laughs> you need to find those champions throughout your organization. And if you can get a few people on board, that momentum comes and then everyone, everyone kind of piles on. Well, you guys have done a really nice job of sort of explaining how we got over that initial hump when our world changed and we realized we were all going to go virtual as the pandemic uh, sort of unfolded. As our working environments continue to evolve, however, particularly with more people spending at least a portion of the time actually in the office, and then some still working almost exclusively remotely, how are you guys addressing learning delivery when a portion of the audience might be virtual and a portion of the audience might actually be physically in the office? Garlene, how about if you kick that one off? Well, Greg, that is, that is where we are right now. That is always a challenge, right? So before, in the beginning, it was a lot of push to figure out how to do remote work. And then it was virtual learning. And now we are at a position where we're looking at hybrid because some people are coming back to the office and some people are not coming back to the office. As companies address the pandemic, they hired people and put people in places farther away. And, and it wasn't possible even to get people all in the same room. And that is what hybrid means, right? So what, like you mentioned before, it's when somebody, some people are in a virtual or somewhere else in the world and some people are in that, in that classroom and bringing them together in some way. So they kept started thinking, let's get, we can do it both, right? We can do both at once. We can get, we can have people virtual and we can have people in the room and everything is going to be great. And what they found out is there are some technical issues <laughs> about getting all those pieces to work together. It's not a matter of I can do virtual learning really well and I can do in-class training very well. You get those two pieces and then you put them together and there is yet another layer of complexity that you're looking at. And you have to do rehearsals. So the first step is definitely make sure you can use Zoom or WebEx or whatever tool you're using. Make sure you can do virtual learning really well and make sure you have really great instructor people. But then you also need this third level like a production team almost. So you think in terms of you're actually thinking in terms of like television production, where you have somebody who's really responsible for maintaining that technology that bridges both of the, the environments. One of the organizations that I work with, they call it multi-platform instead of hybrid. And they do that because they want to reinforce the fact that we are trying to do more than one thing at once. And it just is really present in their mind when they call it multi-platform. And I will say that you don't have to always do them at the same time. Uh, there's been situations where I've always asked uh, you know, ask questions, right? The coach approach. When you're in training and people come to you and say, we need to do this thing. <laughs> and the first thing you need to do is step back, be very curious about what are the outcomes. Because if they just want to have one person speaking and people in different environments listening, 
that's relatively easy to do. But if you want the online people and the in-classroom people to have the same experience, the same types of interactions, remember when, when Jillian was saying you can't just take the same thing that you're doing in person and plop it into virtual. Well, that same thing happens when you're trying to do both at once. You have you still have to have a different way for the in-person people to interact than the, the, the online people to interact. And so you need to have double the staff working that. What I've suggested in some cases is do two separate programs, right? Do a program for your virtual folks, <laughs> do the same program for your in-person folks. And I think that is a good solution for some companies that don't have anyone to manage that complex technology. Garlene, thanks for those comments. That was really interesting. I like the idea of multi-platform. So Jillian, why don't you, can you explain a little bit about how you guys are addressing this hybrid or multi-platform kind of learning? Yeah, I love that term, multi-platform. So right now, our company is actually what we call virtual first. Um, and that was the decision we made actually couple months into the pandemic. So our organization is completely remote. So all of our associates work from home. However, we are starting to see this trend where employees are enjoying the freedom to be able to choose to go into the office if they're near one. And so we are just now getting into having to address that concern or that question, I would say, around hybrid learning. I agree a lot with um, where Garlene's coming from and with your experience that it really kind of is in this place where we have to run two separate programs or potentially rethink the type of training that we're using. So the modalities or methods of delivery are changing a lot more for us as well because we recognize that we can't accommodate in-person and virtual learning at the same time, one in the same room or happening at the same time synchronously because of our lack of technology or inability to have that additional staff. But in addition to that, just for effectiveness, we separate the two. So what we have been doing though, because we can't always staff for it or provide the right tools is that we are starting to move towards a lot of more on-demand content. So breaking up our live sessions into smaller chunks, using them a little bit differently too. So we utilize them for more of a workshop or um, hands-on lab, um, what we call learning labs. And then we save the knowledge transfer for things like the video trainings and delivery through those methods instead. I love the idea of chunking it down. And the, the smaller the piece, the easier it is to get right. And I love the idea that you're breaking that down. And one one other strategy that came to mind was that it doesn't have to be all or nothing. So you can have a program and maybe there are some, especially with the longer programs, right? Sometimes you can, there are pieces of that. You can bring everyone together in a virtual environment, even if they're in the building, right? Even if they're in the building, you can still have them join virtually and have everybody together in that virtual space. And that way everyone can use the same tools. Everyone has the chat panel. Everyone has whiteboards. Everyone has polling. And so even though the people are in the building, they can still join the virtual session. Or you might have some situations where, nope, we're going to have the interactions too intense. We're going to do some of you folks are going to do it virtually. Some of you are going to be in person. But maybe if that longer program, part of it can be still all together. So I like the idea of chunking it down and then really deconstruct that program and look at each piece and say, what can I do with this piece? How do I best achieve my objective? Instead of trying to look at a whole program, you know, make the decision on that small bite versus the whole program. 
Yeah, I 100% completely agree. And what I've really loved about it is that I think it's stretched um, our team's capabilities, skill sets, if you will. Like we've built stronger skill sets to be able to support all of those different options for training. A lot of our facilitators were just facilitators and they had to slide into that new role of being able to convert the content into a self-paced format really switching to a hybrid, the roles change and evolve based on it because that was one of the things that we noticed was instructional designers were going more towards how do I curate content? How do I set up learning labs and start focusing on interaction and the peer skilling? Like how do I help write peer skilling activities instead of just creating e-learning content or videos and things like that. So it was a little bit of a change management right there too, because you had to start looking at your role differently. And we also had to start curating the content and embrace the good enough approach, knowing that we had to flip something quickly and we had to let go of that expectation of platinum level training and remind ourselves that if we're getting the content across, if we're getting the information, the points across then we're good enough and we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. That That's really good what you just said, Jillian. I really like that. But then in addition to that, it stretched our creativity too. So when we started scaling down the instructor-led training, and so even the live virtual events, because Garlene, we do the same thing. If they're in the office, we still have them call in too, typically. So everyone has that same virtual experience. Um, But what we also did though was starting to think even beyond what I say on-demand content, which is a lot we traditionally think as videos, e-learnings. And we started putting in other concepts as well, like peer skilling. So we've put in peer learning programs now. So you're learning from each other and we're encouraging our managers to even embrace that outside of our formal training by encouraging them to assign all of their team members different skills to teach each other. So it's really driven us to think totally differently about how we design and deliver our content in this hybrid environment. Jillian, you gave me chills. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Jillian, that's a really interesting concept and probably a great point to, to make a little segue here. You know, it's interesting to hear just and, and kind of amazing to hear the volume of change and the speed of that change that's occurred in all of our learning and development organizations and, and programming over the last two years. Given the point where we are now, and let's look forward, you know, understanding all that you guys have talked about with the challenges that have been overcome and the new ways of delivering uh, programming. What do you see are, are the hurdles that we still need to overcome? And what challenges do we face just in the next year or so? What are some of those big challenges that you see learning and development organizations and programs facing that, that we need to overcome in order for them to be successful? Yeah, that's a really great question, Greg. Um, I actually recently read an article about this, about the upcoming learning trends from Gartner, which is a research and consulting firm. And we are very aligned with this in our thinking for the future um, for learning strategy at Paycor. The article actually mentioned three different areas that were pretty critical to moving forward with current and future learning trends. The first one was, again, what Garlene and I have talked about um, with interactions, making sure that there are touch points, you know, camera on during your virtual sessions, peer skilling, um, giving that opportunity for connection. So they talked about human points. And so that's more focusing on the total employee experience and the individual, so the whole person. And so finding ways that you can add those in at any time you can during any of your learning programs that you might be delivering. 
in addition to that, redesigning processes is still a necessity. So we actually, you know, we ended up reacting to the pandemic. So we got through it, right? We got through it. We transitioned all of our content over to adjust to it, but now it's time to respond to it. So we have to really dig a little bit deeper and look at the processes that we have. Some of it is really being purposeful and mindful about scheduling. So we talked about that a little bit earlier, but making sure that we're very transparent and clear about how long training is going to take, how um, you know, letting managers know how long it's going to take for them to do it. And then even pre-assigning some of the work ahead of time is still a necessity to make sure that the time that you have in the classroom, whether, you know, virtual or not, or, you know, whatever a medium it might be, making sure that it's very clear what that commitment's going to be. And then the third thing that they've talked about, which I completely agree with and we're addressing right now as well, is technology and the experience of technology. So really looking at your tools and saying, what is the right learning platform? Is it Zoom now that we've finally figured it out? Probably not for us. But, you know, looking at it really that way and saying, do we have the right technology? Do we have enough technology? Or do we even have too many learning platforms or different channels for delivering our training? So those are the three things that I'm completely aligned with Gartner. Those are our focus areas over the next probably two to three years. I love that concept of getting out of reaction mode. I think that's that's really interesting. And I hadn't heard that described that way and that we really need to get into more, more of a responsive mode. Garlene, you know, what can you add and what do you see uh, for the future? Well, if I can comment a couple of things on what Jillian just offered, the we stumbled upon that time issue when we very first started doing more of the spaced training, right? Where you have some training that you do in person, you have some pre-work ahead of time, some post-work, some maybe some interaction on a social discussion board in between. One of the things that we realized way early in that process was that you have to accommodate for the time, especially if you've got learners that are hourly. And so people in the beginning, they were just looking at the time in the classroom. Okay, this class is going to be two hours long, and they weren't incorporating the time that it takes to do that other space learning, the the peer-to-peer learning, the social collaborative learning, the the watching the videos, and making sure you're very accurate about what time people need and when they need that time, even if they're not in the in the classroom. And that's really, like I said, especially critical when you've got hourly employees. The other piece I wanted to add was content. Uh, we've come up a couple times here that it doesn't always have to be live instructor-led training, virtually or in person. And I think we tend sometimes to always see a nail if we only have a hammer. And many people have gotten really used to virtual and they jump at it and say, we're going to do virtual, we're going to do virtual. And I I love when Jillian said getting creative and really thinking in terms of, do we really need to meet virtually? Or can we accomplish this in a different way that would be more effective, more impactful? And really pushing ourselves to not always look, because here's the thing, now that like Greg said, 98% of organizations are using virtual learning. Fantastic. Do you know how long I've been waiting for that to happen? (laughs) My goodness, it's been a long career trying to drag people into virtual. Now that we're all here, I don't want us to always use that as the first option. We still need to challenge ourselves. Why Why are we choosing virtual versus anything else? And now you hear people talk about Zoom fatigue, whether it's Zoom or Meet Teams or WebEx or whatever you're using. People get really tired. I know some people that have social anxiety and 
watching themselves on the video all day long is really just beats them down <laughs> and they really, it, they, they can't take that. And, and just being on camera all the time, it's more draining than being live in person. Being cautious about that and using content. Use content when you can, right? You don't always have to build your own content. There's a lot of great content out there that you can get that's award-winning content and you can plug it into your programs. You can use those content pieces for pre-work, for post-work, for intercession work. Sometimes it can replace the training altogether and give people a little bit of break so they're not always in a live virtual training environment. And this is coming from someone who has been advocating for virtual since 2002. <laughs> we really need to step back and make sure that we're using the right tool to accomplish the learning objectives that we have at the time. Oh my goodness. I love that you just mentioned about content and not thinking always of the virtual sessions as being the go-to. We've talked about that a lot in our organization as well, and really thinking about you know, what other ways can you curate your content? So I completely agree with you. There are millions of things out there that are even free that you can leverage um, and pull quickly, which helps you quickly adapt to the ever-changing world, if you will. In addition to that, though, we started looking at articles. So, you know, knowledge articles aren't a bad thing. If those and job aids are used the right way, they're great references. You can use them in the moment, and then you can start to reduce a lot of that face-to-face -face time that really does cause that fatigue. I'm a huge fan of the lowly and oft overlooked job aid. <laughs> I know you love it. <laughs> I love a job aid. Tell me, they're great. tell me what I need to do, right? I love a job aid. We have a fan. Well, Garlene and Jillian, thank you so much. As I hope our listeners could tell, this conversation could probably go on for hours. And I really appreciate your willingness to share your ideas and experiences. This has been a really amazing conversation. Thank you, Garlene and Jillian, for joining me on this episode of Elevate L&D. Greg, it was a pleasure to be here. Thanks, Greg. It was great to be here. The circumstances of the past two years and the unique needs that were created for the learning and development community have become our new normal. We've adapted to virtual workplace models and remote work practices. As Jillian and Garlene discussed, hybrid learning today is more interactive uses more individualized components and delivery, and has become more focused on outcomes. This rapid evolution of learning is creating tremendous opportunities for L&D professionals, departments, and organizations. With good design, building virtual development programs that address nearly any need are possible. I hope our conversation today will enable you to benefit from the experiences of our guests and move quickly to success. Thanks so much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Elevate L&D with Greg Gould, Garlene Staten, and Jillian Hintz. Next time, host Alicia Hill and her guest will explore workplace culture. Have a topic you'd like to hear on the podcast? Email your comments or suggestions to podcast at gcatd.org. Thanks for listening.